more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. You guys are sort of all over the world, it seems like. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Here on Inspiration Dissemination. There's actually photographs of this data set stretching over a much longer period of time. They're now converted into basically mathematical shapes, and we can now analyze the statistics of this shape. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. You're tuned into KBVR Corvallis, and it's just after 7 p.m. It's March 1st, 2020. It's time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Heather Forsyth. And I'm Chelsea Beheimer. At Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. And here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of these students each week. If you are a graduate student at OSU and you're interested in coming on the show, or you just want to find out more about all of the awesome things going on at Oregon State, check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration, where you can find out all about our guests and links to our Twitter and Facebook pages. Inspiration dissemination is recorded live, and should they occur, any opinions expressed on the show are those of the host and their guest and do not necessarily represent Oregon State University or this station. Tonight, we are joined by Claire Couch, who is a student in integrative biology, and she's going to talk to us about an interface of two broader categories of thought, maybe. Uh, Thanks for coming on the show, Claire. Um, Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Let's imagine that there are a group of people involved in policy they're sitting around and they do what policy people do maybe they vote maybe they write up some briefs they aliquot money and then they build a road what happens after that road is built that maybe people aren't considering or thinking about so that's a uh, very applicable to my area of research um so i study wildlife disease ecology um and specifically one of my research areas is um how the microbiome sort of affects wildlife health and how wildlife behavior and physiology and population biology and landscape ecology all sort of intersect to shape the tiny ecosystems of microbes that live in the guts of wild animals. So this sounds really, I don't know, like esoteric and like, (laughs) um, like how is that possibly relevant? And I still do feel that way about it sometimes, but, um, (laughs) I work on a population of bighorn sheep in the Mojave desert. And one of my studies was actually looking at how human caused barriers So, for example, roads, how uh, the population isolation of bighorn sheep that occurs because of those barriers can actually impact the composition and diversity of the bacteria that live inside of these animals' guts. Um, We know that the microbiome, the gut microbiome, is really important for shaping several aspects of host health. 
Um, when I say hosts, I mean the animal that has the bacteria inside of it. So we know that potentially anything that changes the microbiome might have outcomes for the host's health. I kind of picture when people are sitting in these policy-making rooms together, throwing around ideas, deciding what to do with taxpayer money, there's no way they're thinking about how their decisions will impact the gut microbiomes of bighorn sheep. So that was a longer answer. Seems unlikely, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So what you're saying to sum it up for us is the microbes, the tiny bacteria that are living inside of a sheep are in part derived from what they're eating, what their environment is around them, right? So if we build a road and the sheep can't go any farther than that road, then we've artificially limited their microbiome in some way. Right. That yeah. would be the that would be the idea behind it. Yeah. And, but uh, like the findings are never exactly quite that clear, but yeah. <laughs> I think that's just so interesting to even consider I don't know when when I first learned about what you do I mean when we for example travel often you you know worry about eating food in a different country because you know your your bacteria in your gut isn't going to be able to handle the food or water that you're drinking because you know you don't have the right bacteria to digest it and you know we think about that for people but it's something I think we don't often translate to animals being affected by traveling or you know eating different things than they're used to and making them sick and so just even considering that it is something people don't think about let alone how you know policy and management decisions are going to um, interact with that so If you want to hear more about the gut microbiome, uh, we interviewed a couple months ago Grace Dietzler. So you can look back in the Apple podcast and find her episode. And she also does research related to the gut microbiome and how it impacts autism. So we you can look back and we go more in depth in that episode about what the gut microbiome is and why we would care about it. You look at specifically disease resistance and the gut microbiome, right? Um, that is one of the things that I look at in the okay. gut microbiome. Actually, cool. most of the disease-related work that I've done is in African buffalo, but it's a similar set of questions, like a similar approach that mm-hmm. I take with these different study systems. Sure. You have this really cool research that is what we would call basic research, which is just research that doesn't have a a specific translatable purpose, right? Like you're not doing research on a specific medicine that's being developed to help a gut microbiome, but doing basic research would be something that is just laying a foundation of knowledge for people, which is what a lot of academia is. And But you have become more interested in what that means in the real world and what that means when it's translated and into policy. So do you want to tell us more about your motivations for that and what you've done to get more involved and understand better the interactions between science and policy? So I have had these really cool opportunities to do field work in different places in the U.S. and internationally. And... Um, this is not something that I was originally super interested in, but as I've sort of traveled to these different places that have different management systems for their natural ecosystems, 
It's been just so interesting to me to see the differences, the really striking differences between even, for example, between Oregon Fish and Wildlife and Wyoming Game and Fish, um, and then even more so between Oregon Fish and Wildlife and South African National Parks. Um, so I I think that um, sort of the circumstances that my fieldwork has taken place in has really caused me to think and wonder about how these different policies are affecting multiple scales of ecosystems that um, that we're not predicting and not thinking about when policy decisions are being made. Um, and so that kind of piqued my curiosity. And, um, and then the 2016 elections happened, and I really started thinking about policy and politics in a way that I never had before. Um, that actually happened while I was in South Africa and I was sort of super like distant from everything that was going on back home. And then I woke up one day and was like, Oh, that just happened. Um, (laughs) I should probably know what's happening in the political system in my own country. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it was a wake up call for a lot of scientists. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So when I got back, I, I did, I tried, I, took some classes in science policy and science communication that are offered here at OSU, um, which are really, there's some really good resources at OSU, but I didn't feel like there was a super strong community of people. Like there are lots of people spread out in different departments um, who are working on different policy related issues. But as far as students go, like we're only here for a few years and it's hard to connect with people with similar interests without, like, some sort of cohesive group. So I was like, surely there has to be a club. <laughs> surely. <laughs> There's a club for everything. <laughs> um, so uh, there are some – I should say there are some really great policy clubs. For example, Women in Policy um, is one that I'm aware of. There's some other, like like, political advocacy clubs that are awesome and doing really important work here. And there are lots of science clubs, mm-hmm. but um, I kept hearing from other students as well who are interested in sort of finding a community of people who are interested in um, in pursuing a career or even just sort of on the side um, becoming involved in making their science matter in the policy context. So um, being completely unqualified <laughs> to do this... Over the summer of 2019, I uh, started pulling together, um, sort of putting together the resources to start a science policy club here at OSU. And uh, um, my qualifications are that I can write emails and (laughs) I can um, do all the paperwork that you have to do for clubs. So, but I mean, if not me, then who? So, um, so I started the Science Policy Club in the fall of 2019 and immediately heard from many, many people across campus, many of whom know a lot more than I do and are really, really passionate about working at the interface of science and policy. And it's been super exciting to see these people come together. Um, these are undergraduates and graduate students in all different fields of science. So we have people from... Um, ecology, obviously, integrated biology, um, fisheries and wildlife, uh, computer science, medical, uh, whatever the health 
health science, something like that. Public health. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, but people who do human stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, so people from all different fields, and we've been, yeah, we've been having a really great time sort of building a community together and doing some career development things as a group. And I know there there have been some specific faculty that have really helped you guys come together as a group and kind of um, help facilitate some of the pr- professional development things that you guys have done, which I think are pretty cool. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so we've had amazing support from a few different faculty members. Um, Jane Lubchenco in the Integrative Biology Department was the administrator of NOAA under the Obama administration, and she's also served in several other really high-profile um, national policy roles, and she's been amazingly helpful with connecting us with people. Um, she actually organized a conversation with our congressional representative, Peter DeFazio, and invited our club to join in that, which was awesome. Wow. Um, yeah. We also, I have to say a big thank you to um, Dr. Francis Chan, who also works with Jane Lumchenko, mm-hmm. and several um, several other people who work in that research group have been amazing at um, reaching out and giving us assistance. Um, Katie Jijic, who's no longer at OSU, but she's an alumni. Um, she's now doing a policy-related postdoc on the East Coast, and she provided us with a ton of resources um, to sort of help us get oriented to, like, the classes and faculty members who do policy work at OSU. Um yeah, I could name so many people who have been helpful. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. So I'm curious, when you've been in a room with some of these policymakers, so getting the opportunity to, you know, talk to um, James James DeFazio, sorry. Peter DeFazio. Peter, Peter, okay. sorry. I know somebody <laughs> named James DeFazio, and I always get it mixed up. Oh, interesting. Um, Peter DeFazio, um, what kind of things, were you able to engage and sort of understand what kind of things policymakers actually want to know from scientists or can use? So has that kind of helped you understand better how to, what to communicate or what's important? Yeah, honestly. um, So meeting with Peter DeFazio and also um, there have been a few town halls with our senators recently. It's just such a huge culture shock for a scientist to try to have a conversation with somebody like I'm a scientist because I am a like a nerd and I like grew up not wanting to talk to people and just like <laughs> hanging out in my backyard like looking at stuff through binoculars and so like meeting politicians whose job it is to like talk and be cool <laughs> really it was just like it's mind blowing that like first of all that there are people like that but also it's interesting to to, yeah, to hear their perspectives on, like, yes, they really do want information from scientists, but they're not trained as scientists. So when a scientist tries to go in and, like, say, here's my abstract introduction results <laughs> methods, take this information and make a good policy out of it, that's really not what they're looking for. Um, they're looking for, okay, you're the scientist, you're the expert, give me, like, a bullet point Mm. that I can like use in my policy or like that I can use in my like stump speeches. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, so uh, Dr. Karen McLeod teaches a class on science communication here at OSU. And she has this sort of um, framework to use for 
talking to policymakers and other members of the public who aren't trained as scientists, and um, that was really helpful to me as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really underrated skill to yeah. be able to communicate science, and I'm biased because I'm working on a science communication podcast. But <laughs> it's great practice. It's really good practice. Everyone who is a scientist, grad student at OSU, please come on the show. Um, what do you foresee the future of this club looking like? That's an excellent question. (laughs) So I am hoping to graduate in the next term or two and hand off leadership to some of our, to someone new. Um, and obviously the new leadership will have full autonomy, but <laughs> that aside, I would love to see more connections with other groups on campus. Um, for example, some of the policy groups that I mentioned, uh, I think it would be really amazing to facilitate more interactions between students who are studying science and students who are studying things like public policy and communication. Um, but I think it would be really mutually beneficial Um, I also think it would be great to start some kind of mentoring program between our club members and either faculty members who are working on policy issues or other other leaders in our community who do policy and work at the interface of science and policy. So I would love to see a mentorship program get set up. Mm That would be a lot of work, but I think it would be really worthwhile. yeah, I'd love to bring in more policymakers for public um, seminars and discussions. There's a lot. There's a lot I would like to see sure. happen. <laughs> I think it's really cool that you've sort of created this platform because what it sounds like is, you know, there's no real protocol for, you know, here's step one to engaging in policy if you're a scientist and step two. It sounds like, you know, the first thing is to just start having conversations with people, you know, as a scientist about your work related to policy and just, you know, get more comfortable talking about your work in that way. And I think what's really cool, what you're doing is creating this kind of, you know, cross campus cultural, meaning different fields of research, that's hard enough communicating your science to somebody from a completely different discipline, but it's kind of like a baby step to communicate to somebody who's maybe not a scientist. So I think it's, it's a really cool platform and, you know, I think that's a realistic vision to, to set up if you have, you know, enough people that are excited to be having those conversations. So yeah, if, if you're out there, uh, new new recruits are very much wanted. I'm shamelessly plugging Claire's Club. <laughs> yes, we are. On, we're not on social media yet, but we will be soon. <laughs> um, look us up on the. I think Student Leadership Institute has a database of all the clubs. Just look up Science Policy Club at Oregon State University, um, and I think it has my email address on there. So. <laughs> nice. So we have a couple of traditions on the show. The One of them is to provide a piece of advice. So you have about five years of grad school, PhD work under your belt. You have started a club from nothing. You have lots of experience and wisdom that I think you could share. So what piece of advice do you want to share and who is it for? Oh, this is... I, there's... Mm, okay. 
So I'm not that wise, but one thing I have <laughs> learned, I just hyped you up. <laughs> yeah, I know. I have to hype myself down. <laughs> um, so one thing that I have learned in particular, sort of becoming more familiar with the policy world and how to sort of like interact with people who do policy is um, the importance of listening. And I think that that goes for no matter what stage of your career you're at. And I'm still not great at it. But as scientists, we really like to be like, hey, I study microbiomes. This is really cool. Let me tell you everything I know about it. Um, And if you're talking to somebody not in your field or if you're talking to your mom or especially if you're talking to um, somebody who's working on public policy, um, I'm learning that it's really important to listen to what their priorities are and listen to what they want to hear. And then you can tailor your message and understand what level of detail to go into. So that's my advice to anybody who's interested in becoming a science communicator, which you two are expert at, but anybody who's listening. Yeah, yeah. no, I think that's excellent advice. Listening is so It is really good advice. Yeah. I don't know that anyone's ever said that, that's which like is shocking. Best. Yeah. Yeah. So far, best best advice of 2020. So, <laughs> <laughs> And um, before we, we go to our, our second tradition, um, because I know sometimes our guests forget this, do you have an, any shout outs you'd like to make? Anyone out there listening, you'd like to give a special hello to oh sure okay so i would love to i am gonna make my mom listen to this so mom hi (laughs) um i might make my husband listen to it but he might not get this far but if he does hi ryan and um that's all Hello. That's great. Well, to my we dog. Are a, oh, perfect. One. Okay. Hi, Rusty. <laughs> we are a podcast, so you know you can listen at your leisure. You know if you mm-hmm. only have so much time. Well, yeah. that's great. Um, thank you so much, Claire. And our second tradition is that we like to play you out on a song of your choice, and you've chosen a song for us by the Electric Light Orchestra. And can you tell us what song you've chosen and why? Absolutely. So this song is Mr. Blue Sky, which is just one of my favorite all-time songs. But also it was the walkout music for my favorite presidential candidate of 2020, who's unfortunately dropped out. Um, It was Governor Jay Inslee, who's a huge advocate for science and policy and um, does some of the best, like, science-based climate work of anybody that I know, so... Shout out to Jay Inslee if you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Very cool. Well, super inspiring what you're doing, and we're so happy to be able to share it here on the show. So thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. This is delightful. Thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, tell your friends about it and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at KBVRID. This theme music was performed by the OSU Drumline and the intro jingle was created by Olin Hamath. Special thanks to the supporting staff at KBVR that allow the show and podcast to be possible. This show was started by Jean Kamvar and Joey Hulbert in 2012. To learn about our current hosts, other graduate students at Oregon State, or if you want to be part of the show, visit our website at blogs.oregonstate.edu inspiration. Thanks again for listening, and stay curious, my friends.